Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Coffee and Comic Books, um, a book club podcast about comics. I'm Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Rick. Hello. And this time we are joined by a, a guest, uh, Casey, a.k.a. a Manofsky article. Casey, uh, tell everybody hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, Casey, if people don't know you, um, what's your like history with reading comics? Okay, so... I'm going to try to make this as concise as I can, I think. Uh, so I started very young. Um, I remember one of the big ways I learned how to read was that my uh, my dad would read me Spider-Man comics out loud uh, every night and do like a lot of voices and things. And that's kind of how I picked up the both the language of comics and also just the language of language. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I will say, too, that the, the Spider-Man comics I read, I, I wouldn't necessarily qualify as like the classic ones um oh, okay. so, so it was like the era i was reading was or you know was being read to was a lot of like uh featuring villains like vermin carrion <laughs> cardiac uh <laughs> demo i love cardiac but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I i think they're all great and i still adore their costumes to this day um or just you know it was the era of like monster freaks and I, mm-hmm, I, I mm-hmm. think that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> from there, you know, I had a pretty traditional superhero comic upbringing, um, which I, I don't really follow superhero comics anymore. Uh, the the only one that follows me from move to move is the uh, saga of the Swamp Thing, uh, which, I'll, oh, which I'll hold on yeah. to forever. And uh, Mike Mignola's Hellboy, which... I'm, I'm looking over at my shelf just to make sure I'm being <laughs> accurate here. But yeah, no, I've, I've shed a lot of those because I've moved a dozen times and uh, mm. those get heavy. Um, but uh, I would say, you know, of course, I also watched, I also grew up watching anime and things. I had a, I had a cousin that had a Japanese pen pal that would send him like unsubtitled videos of shows I didn't learn what they were until much later in life. So uh, there, there were some episodes of like Gegege no Kitaro and uh, Dekonjo Geru, the, uh, the, the obnoxious frog, which is about this kid that has a, uh, a talking frog t-shirt. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think it, I, I want to say, and I, you know, forgive me if, I, if, I'm, if I'm wrong to any of the obnoxious frog fans out there, because uh, I haven't had a chance to revisit it. But I want to say it was like a real frog that he fell face first on. And it like flattened into his shirt, but then became kind of a symbiote. Okay. Lived on his shirt and would give advice and get him into mischief. Um, so it was a lot. It was a lot of stuff like that where I, it, it felt like I was being exposed to another world, and I, I really was, along with all the other shows that were just kind of ambiently airing at the time, like Voltron and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say that my true getting into manga uh, was probably when I was in middle school, because I I remember picking up uh, volumes, uh, the, the early black and white Viz, well, they're all black and white, but the early Viz volumes of uh, Ranma One Half, uh, because my, my grandma would win money at bingo, and she would give me like, you know, 10, 15, 20 dollars a week just to go find something. Um, so Ranma One Half was the one that drew my attention, uh, and from there I got really deep into manga, although I would say that the the uh, the era of manga that most greatly contributed to my interest into my still being here and talking about comics as much uh, was the era uh, where Viz was publishing a magazine called Pulp, 
um, which was a more adult-oriented magazine. Uh, that's where I first discovered Taiyo Matsumoto. That's where I first discovered Junji Ito. Uh, that's where I first read a scrap Ooh, of okay. Osamu Tezuka's Phoenix. Uh, Banana Fish was in there. Toyakazu Matsunaga's Bakune Young. Like, it was a really wild and subversive magazine. Uh, one that I probably would not have gotten away with, like, bringing home. Um, so... <laughs> The way, I, the way I'd often read that one was that uh, my my parents would drop me off for the Pokemon card game league, and I would never actually play the cards. I'd just go read Pulp uh, on the newsstand <laughs> instead. Um, but yeah, and I, ever since then, I've just kind of stayed on and just kept chasing uh, different comics from all over the world. Like, I, I, you know, I, I love reading European comics. I like reading uh, Spanish language comics, uh, just still still deep into manga like just anything that can kind of scratch a certain itch for me or uh that has like a really unique visual language um and yeah i'm still here to this day i i think that's the best i can do as far as just explaining my own history and uh yeah i mean yeah i feel like i follow you on twitter in part because you're just always posting about really unique different stuff you know because i i have a tendency to get stuck into like one whole like you know shonen manga or you right now it's superhero stuff and i really appreciate that yeah you're always like just showing off different things out there in the world of comics so yeah oh i i appreciate that yeah i i think i I get bored if I stand still for too long. So like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always trying to find something new or something at least that's new to me. And often that's digging into whatever uh, weird scrap of the past uh, that catches my eye. Or whatever, you know, up and coming indie person uh, I happen yeah. to bump, come across. Um, that, that reminds me of, was, it was in 2019 where we found that back in that young at the Guiling, right? Yes, uh, and I, I, I it is... <laughs> It is still uh, holding a prized position on my shelf to this day. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, that was a really good magazine. It's hard to find, though. It is. Um, it is. Uh, I was. I was very lucky um, that I actually at that same event, uh, I was able to make contact with Ryan Sands, who published uh, Frontier magazine, uh-huh. uh, and Ryan sent me a big crate of duplicate issues of Pulp that he just happened to have lying around because he kept buying eBay lots to make. Uh, a complete set so anything he had a duplicate of i got a copy of and it's been a thrill just to flip through those and something i'm very grateful for uh so yeah tcaf tcaf 2019 was that was a very uh wonderful event probably my best ever con experience that's that's where i was able to meet uh rick in person uh that's where i was able to uh briefly encounter junji ito and get the the pulp volume of uh uzumaki that i've had since high school signed uh, oh wow and uh, and yeah, and just met a lot of great people, and that's the kind of show you should go to if you're going to go to a convention. Go to TCAF. I, yeah. Uh, speaking of the thing I've been reading this week is a lot of books I got at TCAF this year because ah. <laughs> I've been catching up on. <laughs> Hell yeah! What have you been reading? Uh, so the first thing um, is uh, a little book. So I got turned on to Paradise Systems by Ian McAllen, who does a lot of really great illustrations for movies and comics. Was at the show this year? I believe, yeah. Uh, we both got that print of, what's, what was that movie? Shit. Are you thinking of the uh, the Seijin Suzuki? Yeah, print? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, oh gosh. is I, th- I want to say that one's for Branded to Kill. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, but he, he was back at the show, 
and point me to Paradise Systems. And Paradise Systems is a small press that does uh, books from comic artists in North America, uh, China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and those kind of. And one of the books I got there was uh, it's called it's a it's a history of Chinese pulp comics. Mm. Uh, they're called I don't know how to pronounce it. It's called Lian Huan Hua, and uh, we've been looking at them for the last like half an hour because uh, if you go into them it's a lot it's a, where a lot of american films got translated into like single panel comics that were then published completely wide to the chinese population and um like there were in 1985 for example in the, the first line of this book there were 100 there are 8.1 billion of these printed oh wow <laughs> so yeah and they're all just like they fit in the, the palm of your hand, the size of them. So those, those panels are like how big they are, and there's flip books basically throughout the plot of stuff. And it's a really cool history of how they grew, declined, and then grew again, and then declined again as all the media that they were emulating actually came into the country. So then they kind of lost their value. Mm. It's really interesting. And so yeah, the thing I read this morning was the entire adaptation of Star Wars the Mo- or Star Trek the Motion Pictures online and. Um, they had the yeah they had the they had the book the plot and all the words but not the look of anything so <laughs> uh, Mr. Spock looks kind of like Sean Connery in this <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of other stuff like that yeah it's it's a lot of fun um, and the other I, book from them uh, oh yeah go ahead I have been uh, sleeping on the job as far as doing co-host posts with what we uh talk about but um i've got to do it this time because people need to understand how much we love these uh uh panels uh they're very off model quote unquote but um these this is great stuff (laughs) um and on on the website of the the publisher they also did just a big essay at the bottom of the page that is on the history of uh it's an encyclopedia of unauthorized star wars of these and they range from like the first the, the first couple are like completely on model like that's Star Wars and then it goes to like oh we're gonna make a proletariat literature about Uncle Owen and Biggs Dark Lighter and Luke Skywalker <laughs> and it's great um, but yeah it's a cool little spot and then the other book I got from Paradise Systems at the time was a book called The South Park by Gante and it is a book about two people going for a walk and then going to a, a, a park. And the cool thing about the book is, um, so at the end of the book, they go on a boat ride, and I have pictures of this because you can't. It, it's a, you can only do this once, which is a. The book's on. Um, it's on the back of the book's on two pages. Uh, it's two parts of paper, and I gotta find these pictures on my phone. Um, so it looks so. It looks like this, and you can see that I've taken off one of them already. When it posts in a second, my phone's being bad. Why is my phone being bad? There it is. So I've ripped oh, off one of those okay. already. And then you go through the pages on their boat ride, and you slowly tear off each panel on the pages. Huh. And one of the principal got attacked by a moth and falls into the lake, and it's a good, it's a good little story. Okay, this is fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've never seen actual, anything like this. Yeah, yeah. Some of the layouts in the book are actually amazing too, because so it, the book is printed on uh, the left. 
if you, you open a page, the left side will be the translation, the right side will be the, the comic image. So like okay. there are panels, pages like this too, where you can see this is one of the coolest three panel, like three layers pages I've ever seen. Cause uh, the middle layer is the text boxes for the bottom one. Oh, okay. Which yeah, it almost moves a... like up to from bottom <laughs> to top in a weird way. But it, yeah, it does, yeah, we read it. It's like you you read top and then bottom and then back up to yeah. It's wild. Huh. It's this really is sick. fascinating. Uh, uh, yeah, and then to stay on that, the third thing I've read most of is uh the l latest the. Was it the last issue of X Mag the the robot one, oh. the Pia, uh, the Pia one? Yes, that was yeah. The volume four was the Mecca one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I've read most of that, and it's funny because in a in like before I started listening to Great Gundam Project and watching all this stuff for myself, so this would seem a lot more novel than it is. But now it's like, oh yeah, this is the this is this story and this is that story. <laughs> it's very it's it's a lot more fun that way. Like there's the one where. Time for one before, uh, two ace pilots meet in a bar and then find out they're on opposite sides of the war they're about to be in. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> or like, uh, scientist's daughter wants to make war machine do not war after the war I was over. Kind of stuff. Yeah, those kind of stories. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. And this one has a really cool color palette. It like goes from like, um, it goes from orange to blue in like different ways for each story and uses it really well throughout the book. It's, it's actually really pretty. I meant to pick up the other two of them I missed in the middle, but I didn't. But I, I saw um, this at the show because Ren was there selling stuff. That Akirazine was also there. That's what, that's when I got that. Yeah, from there. Um, last... You go. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I noticed um, that because I've been browsing Paradise Systems website, there is kind of a holiday sale on a bunch of this stuff. There's a couple things that are sold out right now, but yeah, if people are interested, paradise-systems.com. It looks like they've got a bunch of stuff on sale. So Yeah, clean books. And then the last thing I've read is um, uh, Kanjin-kun by Ayuma Arasaka, and it's, by, it's from Glacier Bay. It was published in spring. It is uh, a fold-out comic, which means... It is uh, one. It's like nine pages, but uh, the nine pages are horizontal. Uh, here's an example, and it folds out into one long thing that you just flip over. Oh, that's pretty. Oh wow, the colors are incredible. Yeah. Uh, That's all one side of the, the thing, and then you flip it over and do the other side. And it's about uh, a spirit trying to find a body in hell. It's pretty cool. Okay. What was it? What was this called again? Oh, it's called uh, Kanjin-kun. Uh, it's by Ayuma Arasaka, and it's on the Glacier Bay website. Okay. Yeah, this someone, looks fascinating. Who was a publisher I got into, thanks to uh, one Jog and two Casey here, and if you want good comics, you could buy anything from that store and you'll have a good time. <laughs> Glacier Bay is wonderful. Uh, they have regrettably had a lot of trouble recently due to uh, their, their Twitter, which they use to talk with artists and promote themselves being shut down without explanation and uh, oh, no. unable to get an appeal. Uh, but the publishers uh, still have their own pages and are still actively promoting 
what they're putting out, so please look them up. Uh, but Glacier Bay, yeah, some of the best indie manga around, stuff that is just like no other publisher in this in the English speaking uh, manga world is likely to touch. Oh, I've yeah. seen some uh, pages from Gleolia on Twitter. That looks really good. I might pick that up. They're wonderful, wonderful books. Uh-huh. I still got to read the third one. It's on my list forever. I have it here. I just have it ready. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what I've been reading. Autumn, what have you been reading? Um, so two main things. One, following on from what we talked about mm-hmm. last time, uh, I read um, Darwin Cook's The Outfit, which I thought I had read before, but I definitely have not because The Outfit is fucking incredible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> is that the one that opens when he takes a new face? He gets a new face, right, because yeah, okay. last time we talked, I mentioned I was disappointed he didn't look like Bruce Wayne anymore, but, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, that's the one um, where, like, all the, there are, like, a bunch of different heists, and, like, one of them is, like, illustrations with Richard Stark's actual novel there. One of them is done, like, a newspaper strip. One of them is all done in, like, two two-page spreads um that have like very cartoony art style it's really fucking good um is that I also don't know if I, is that also the go. book where they show uh grofeld the uh the actor turned bank robber uh and his his process of like imagining crime scenes as musicals I, I think we're introduced to him in the first chapter of the outfit um okay. and I think maybe there's gonna be a little bit I read a little bit more of um the next one. It's not Slayground, but it's... I don't remember what the third one's called, but I think he's going to be in the third one a little bit more. Okay. Um, I don't like it quite as much as I liked The Hunter, but I still really, really fucking like the outfit. Um, I might, I'm thinking about rereading Selena's big score before moving on, um, mm-hmm. because it's been a couple of years since I read that. But uh, yeah, I just... The outfit's fantastic. <laughs> Um, uh, and then, that reminds me. Um, yeah, actually, uh, another TCAF thing. I saw uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing at TCAF like in 2013. And it was Cook and Ed Brubaker putting the show on. Ooh. Oh my god, that was a fun time. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, you go- of course you two would pick this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've actually... I've read Selena's big score, but I haven't read the issues that Brubaker writes right after, like in the Catwoman ongoing. So um, uh, I have not... I, I've only read like a small handful of Ed Brubaker comics, actually. Like I've read Winter Soldier and The Fade Out, and that's about it. So I should get more into his stuff, I think. Some of the early <clears throat> criminal volumes are pretty good. Yeah. yeah, that's the one that's really been catching my eye because I was like looking at his uh, Wikipedia page this week and I was like, Criminal looks really good. So The one I remember hearing about all the time is the one that is the big Archie pastiche. Yes. Uh, what is that? Like the last of the gang to die? Or am I thinking of the Smiths? Uh, it's something like that. Uh, but yeah, it's the Archie pastiche arc, which is the one I remember yeah. the most vividly from when I was reading those. Yeah. Okay. Um, the last of the innocent. It the looks last like. of the innocent. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think I mixed that one up and first of the gang to die by the Smiths, but either way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I've been reading a lot of this week is I read about uh, 20 issues of The Uncanny X-Men. Um, I read everything from Days of Future Past to uh, I'm about to start the Brood Saga. And um, 
hey, X-Men's pretty good. I don't know if y'all know about this, but um, <laughs> X-Men's really good. <laughs> uh, Days of Future Past, pretty fucking good. You heard about these children of the Atom? It's <laughs> <laughs> um, one of those stories that's like, it's a very small idea that balloons into like infinite comics forever that they can do. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing is I know in the 90s it's going to get really out of hand, but we're far from that right now. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really nice about um, these issues I've been reading is this is Byrne has now gone off to do Fantastic Four, which means that Dave Cockrum is back. And I have always liked Dave Cockrum better than John Byrne personally. Um, And so you get like Kitty's fairy tale in here. You get um, like the first there's like four issues of brood stuff with the star jammers um and then there's going to be like five more um coming up pretty soon in what i'm reading um there's also a bilson kevich issue where uh storm uh becomes one of dracula's thralls uh but then she has such a fierce willpower that dracula withdraws and lets her be her own woman (laughs) which is great (laughs) um yeah uh just just enjoying some claremont x-men um Kitty's Fairy Tale truly one of my favorite issues of anything I've ever read. Um, but yeah, Casey, what have you been reading this week or last two weeks? Um, last two weeks, uh, well, uh, my my partner for my birthday bought me a, a the hardcover of uh, Jim Woodring's One Beautiful Spring Day, uh, which oh yeah, I read that at the library uh, because you were tweeting at about it a while back, actually. Yes, uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Frank comics, uh, and they're unclassifiable yeah (laughs) Uh, just the the most surreal wordless comics money can buy and what do you know one beautiful spring day is another really great entry in that it kind of combines some of the earlier volumes but also has some added material inside so uh but yeah very very good i'm always excited to see a new wood ring um also i you know i've really been into even more than comics well I, i would say equally to comics lately uh, I've been into like Japanese crime novels, um, uh, you know, especially like the Shin Honkaku, like uh, crime revival novels of like the eighties and nineties. Um, and there's a okay. publish there's a publisher of those called um, Pushkin Vertigo, and they recently released their first manga, uh, and that manga is Kafka by Nishioka Kyodai, uh, and so. Nishioka Kyodai are is are these siblings who do like really bizarre like emotional despair comics. I guess is the best way I could put it. Uh, okay. But, but these are their adaptations of Kafka short stories, uh, and I really think this is just a perfect marriage of uh, source material and visual sensibility. Oh, this looks really good. It's it's fantastic. I think my friend Kim has been reading some of these. Um, some of these covers are like, I, I recognize. I think the Futaro Yamada ones uh, are ringing a bell in my head. Uh, yeah, they, they also do uh, Seishi Yokomizo, who did the Kindeichi cases, uh, which are really famous old Japanese uh, mystery stories. And uh, Soji Shimada, who kind of kickstarts a... I, I don't even know how to explain... Tokyo Zodiac murders, so I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they, they do some great stuff, but I, I was so interested to see a manga on their slate because they're really more of a literary group. And I guess, you know, for them, the bridge is literary source material in Kafka. But 
I, I think it's a really fantastic book, and I'd recommend that highly to any of your listeners. Um, outside of manga, I've been reading a lot of uh, Alberto Breccia. Uh, so, Hell yeah. So, you know, Mort, Mort Cinder. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a stack of them over there that I can't even, I'm not even going to reach for right now. Um, but yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot. So, but if you're, if you're interested in the history of like Spanish language comics and also just really rich visuals, uh, look into Alberto Breccia. I recommend that. Highly. I always think about his, um, Dracula comic. Yes. The one where he fights Superman. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily indicative of like what other Breccia books look like. And yet. <laughs> yeah, and yet, uh, for autumn, uh, it looks like this. Um, I think I think I bought his Che adaptation or uh, yeah. book um, on your recommendation, Rick, and it's been sitting on my shelf for like a month or two, and I have not dug into it yet. So maybe I should. This Superman is bananas. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to go punch Dracula. Sometimes you got to punch Dracula. <laughs> Right, we were talking about this because uh, earlier this year I read um, Alex DeCampi and and Erica Henderson, um, Dracula Motherfucker, which is like, has nothing in common with this, but also kind of the same vibes a little bit. (laughs) Um, And the last thing I read recently was, uh, so it's from from another indie manga publisher in the US called Starfruit Books. Um, they recently started their horror imprint, which they're calling Blood Orange. Um, and, uh, so I recently got shipped my copy of, uh, Wonder House of Horrors by Miyako Kojima, which, uh, is, I, I would say very, very, uh, Kazu Umezu inspired. It, so it's that sort of very similar level of, like, uh, grotesque visuals, uh, half the stories in it are kind of the like they're, half the stories in it are like what if a girl was ugly, um, <laughs> but then you know but like then there are other stories that are just that, like there's there's two chapters about someone called the Chocolate Man, and he's improbably long necked and tall, and it's just driving axes into people's heads in a very EC Comics way, um, or there's a story about. Uh, people who people's who people whose heads pop off and they just have to like live as like headless torsos and just go okay. about their day-to-day life. Uh, I, I don't really know how to describe this book. Um, I, I will say though, I am excited about the possibilities of blood orange. I know that they're doing a lot of Hideshi Hino reprints. Uh, they've got, they are indeed. they've got city of pigs. They've got a panorama of hell coming soon. Uh, so I'm I think, so excited for that. Uh, me, me too. It's been so long overdue. Um, and my understanding is that there's probably going to be even more from Hino on the way. Uh, so if you like classic horror manga, Hideshi Hino is one of the guys that is held up as the masters of it to the point where like even Junji Ito will tell you like you've got to go read Hideshi Hino. Uh, mm. Hino, is, Hino dresses like a sea captain and draws some of the most disturbing visuals you've ever seen. Uh, so... Uh, really good stuff. Um, I, I will say that it was a little depressing, though, reading the afterword for uh, Wonder House of Horrors, where Miyako Kojima laments that it seems like all of the horror ma- manga magazines in Japan are dead. 
Uh, and that the only person who has made a dent overseas is Junji Ito. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it that's that kind of bummed me out a little bit. But I I think that I think that uh you know for as long as the internet exists, the the good stuff will still find a way to reach the niche audience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just dig, find yourself in it, and uh, find some good gross stuff. Um. Well, I guess. We should get into the book we're talking about for the book club this time, which is um, Invitation from a Crab, uh, which, you know, I read yesterday and I don't know anything about the like who the artist Pen uh, Penpanya is. Um, and so if either of you could fill me in on like the backstory of like where this book comes from, I would I would love a little bit of that because uh, I was infatuated with this book. Uh, go ahead, Casey. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure of the pronunciation either. I've been running with Panpanya. Um, yeah, that, I think that's probably right. Uh, but Panya, Panpanya, we really don't know much about them biographically. Like they're okay. They, they have never specified their specified their true name, their gender, their age. Uh, what we do know is that they they kind of debuted in the late 2000s they made an appearance at the request of some friends to go to a comitia uh festival and since then i've just been publishing these short stories like uh, this is the the format of invitation from a crab is the format of everything i've seen by them so far and that seems to be their very comfort comfortable niche of uh mm. surreal short stories about people about well actually just kind of one character i i, I hesitate to call them a self-insert but they are definitely the Panpanya character you know like you see this right. char- you see this character in something and that's a Panpanya story um <laughs> it, but it, it is just this little person of ambiguous gender who c- just wanders around and sees things that seem sublime uh, yeah and it really is harder. It's really hard to get into like anything more specific than that because we we earlier this year did um, sky is blue with a single cloud and um, gold pollen and other stories, which are both like short story collections from like Garo from like the sixties and seventies mm-hmm. that are kind of similarly hard to describe without just like okay, in this story, you know, the Panpanya <laughs> character meets a crab, you know, uh, like there's almost nothing you can do to talk about it without just getting into what the stories themselves are in some way, you know, and and quite a few, especially in Japan, quite a few people have have commented that these stories feel very Garo inspired, uh, although okay. although. Okay. Pantanya has re- allegedly kind of deflected some of that and was like, ah, there's no particular manga that inspired me. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. But uh, I-, I would agree, also- though. It's very similar in, like, a vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of horror, too, there is a bit of a... Not a horror bent, but, like... <laughs> it's, like, it's horror for a bit until they see what's going on for real, and then it, like, changes... Yeah, there's there's this like existential uneasiness of imagination. Yeah. yeah, there's like stories in this book where like when I read Junji Ito, I'm never really scared. I'm never like scared by like Umezu, but there's like stories in here where that are like legit kind of scary. Like there, I don't know why the bit about like driving past all the uh, streamers that have been up for too long is kind of scary, but it is, you know, <laughs> um, it, it works really, really well. 
Um, yeah, the 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 detail in the backgrounds compared to the figures was also really juxtaposition stark and it mm -hmm. really brings it all out too for like that one especially like the streamers are like really really detailed and then it Penpai is for those not reading along um is almost like even in light almost lighter than pencil like like just a little figure drawing throughout this very detailed world yeah like the character is like especially for most of this book is not inked like it's yeah. it is all just pencil and Everything else is so heavily inked. The world is like bathed in black inks. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And, and yet yeah. Panya as the Wanderer is just kind of barely there, which I, I, I don't know. To me, that gets to like a greater sense of ennui than a character telling me that that's what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and just like, story? oh, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I'm going to read this table of contents real quick, and I'm going to see the, the giant salamander one was really good, but I think, um, I'm, oh, I think, I think pineapple ignorance might be my favorite story, <laughs> just for like, <laughs> pineapple ignorance, uh, partly because it reminded me of my, my favorite movie only yesterday, but also, <laughs> um, the direction it goes... <laughs> with uh is really something <laughs> yeah let's talk about pineapple movie. ignorance <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Yes. sure. laughs> um so for the listeners um the the panpanya character is eating uh dinner with their friend um i don't think they're eating dinner with the dog are they um i'm scrolling through my book to try to find this uh and they're remarking about how um like oh they don't know what a they've only had canned pineapples so they don't know what a uh, actual pineapple looks like and so they uh, go on a trip to a grocery store in the next town over to ask uh, at the grocery store and the person at the grocery store doesn't know either and then they go to okay yeah she is eating with the dog um, or they are eating with the dog the the grocer. <laughs> shows them uh they have a little plaque up um, of a guy who is selling the pineapples and he says i grew these on the plaque which really got me and it but it's, uh, it, but it's a guy wearing a mask that looks like a tetrapod or something it's i i was trying to describe this to my parents earlier because i was grabbing lunch with them and i'm like yeah, all the adults in this book look like lemons with, like, four cavities coming out of them. <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me of the way that, like, in Charlie Brown, they would just be those yeah. voices. <laughs> but in this, they're just, like, weird tetrapod heads. Or or dolphins. And also, <laughs> the, the, the way that the... Um, the speech bubbles are always coming out of the weird holes. Uh, oh, is... yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it also contributes to sometimes this book is, like, scary in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the pineapple grower reveals to them that he doesn't grow the pineapples. He makes little uh, tote bags that look like pineapples, and he fills them up with canned pineapples and then sells them at the store. <laughs> So he doesn't really know what a pineapple looks like either. He just goes by what's on the can. Who can say? Um, <laughs> but also, the, also the guy has these bags that are shaped like pineapples. It's like I don't know. They send me these too, so I just stuff them in there, and people seem to like it. 
and everybody in town is using the pineapple tote bags as just like a little you know bag after they um eat the pineapples and i couldn't help thinking about how it would probably be very wet inside that bag um and then the ending of the story is so perfect because in uh the character's dream they find out how pineapples are grown but then they wake up the next morning and they forget yep and they they even go on this multi-page adventure and go like ah we didn't really learn anything about anything The, the page I think about in that one is they go into the grocery store to, to ask about the pineapples and the look inside that store is like all the lights coming on and like seeing all the groceries. It's like so gorgeous. <laughs> it really is. Um... <laughs> Dazzling by the brilliance of the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really does bear repeating that like Pampanya really can draw like it's the details in the world are so stunning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, if I had if I had to pick one, I think my favorite's the stupid dolphin math one. <laughs> dolphin math so one is really good. <laughs> that which, was the um, funniest slash saddest one. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, because I get uh, number file recommendations on YouTube all the time, <laughs> so the Ryman hypothesis comes up every so often, and then you're like, read the story, and you're like, oh fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Because for those who don't know, they find an old calculator in a warehouse, and this calculator is a machine that has been attached to a dolphin, and they use the dolphin's brain to do math problems. Because dolphins are smarter than people. And it also times how fast it takes dolphins to do it. And so the Panpaya character goes, what if I put the Raymond hypothesis into this dolphin and see what happens? And then the dolphin just sits there for like... Eight years. I don't forget. Yeah, eight years just thinking about the problem and then spits out the whole answer. And becomes a world-famous dolphin. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The, the, the bit that kills me every time is um, there's a page, the last page, the top panel, uh, the dolphin hands Panpaya their book on how they solved the hypothesis and became smart. <laughs> and it's just a dolphin giving a thumbs up on the cover. And yet, despite despite the dolphin's success, it has no greater ambition for itself than living in Panpanya's uh, apartment as a calculator. Yeah, hell yeah, you get it, dolphin. <laughs> That's right. Um, this this really worked as a piece for me with the uh, much earlier story in the collection about um, Panpanya gets a job at like a fishmonger um, and <laughs> yes! doesn't want to slice into the fish because the fish are screaming, "Help me! Help me!" Um, <laughs> But so uh, this one, this one fucked yeah. me up a little bit because yeah, it, this one's depressing because because like the 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 fishmonger butcher guy, another tetrapod headed person, I believe, um, mm-hmm. explains them like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. The the fish that talk, they don't really mean the words they say. It's like <laughs> it's like insect memory. It's an evolutionary adaptation to make us feel bad for killing them. And so he's just chopping the heads off of them, and then Panpanya goes home to their own fish that also talks and asks, like, right. are, am I feeding you because, you know, are, are you talking to me because you mean it, or are they just words to you? And the, the fish goes, they're just words. <laughs> just an echo, this, like, thin echo that is so ambiguous. <laughs> that is a really like, big theme in the book, because it's all mm-hmm. about food, a lot of it. Like, there's the coconut one. Mm-hmm. There's the fish. There's multiple fish ones. There's the one with the radishes. That's hilarious. 
Well, and there's but, like there's text pieces um, throughout the book, and one of the text pieces is like you know thinking of, just like kind of pondering what language even is, and you like read that and you think about the the talking fish a little more, and you're like, well, if the fish have evolved a survival mechanism where they are saying help me help me um they kind of do understand what those words mean they may yes. not understand a language but they definitely understand the words help me <laughs> they understood the words that would have the greatest emotional impact and isn't that in itself language yeah yeah <laughs> and my my second favorite one uh comes after all those and it's the one titled hell and it starts off really ominously as Pompey gets off the subway and goes up the escalator and everyone's coming down the escalator crying their eyes out and the reveal is you get to the top and it's someone in goggles showing off their uh, new fangled onion cutter at a stall and everyone's walking away crying. <laughs> oh. I, I, I did want to talk about the coconut smashing one a little bit because... Yeah, please, yeah. please. Because uh, this one this one is also depressing. It's, it's very depressing and like it's... It almost feels like out of this book, like the one that has like the most obvious and explicit thing to say, right? Uh, because yeah, this so this one's about Panpanya working at a factory where they just smash coconuts that come down a conveyor mm. belt re- repetitiously. Uh, but want to slack off, so they develop a simple system with like water and a bamboo like lever, so that the water will fill and just smash the coconuts in time. And their boss, another tetrapod head man. Uh, walks in, notices that they've done something, compliments them on their ingenuity, and then instantly fires them because they don't need people <laughs> anymore. But but then we find out that the coconut juice is just to fuel a deep, even deeper human workforce that are for that are forced to power everything. Yeah, there's like when we see Panpanya like cracking open the coconuts, it's just them. Like they're the only person working at this factory, seemingly. But then you know. You walk past all this, like, horrifying, like, Jack Kirby machinery, uh, or I think even more on point would be Akira machinery, and then it's revealed in the heart of the factory is just dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people riding bicycles drinking the coconut juice. And the other bit going on is, like, it starts with Panpaya going, so I, I break coconuts to make electricity to fuel everything, and then they go to their teacher at school and, like, yeah... How do you get electricity from a coconut? And it drives the teacher nuts. Because <laughs> they're like, wait, how do you get electricity from a coconut? It's it's kind of <laughs> wild that this this story in particular um, ends on like a punchline, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because like, I guess if you ended it on like, Panpanya just gets fired from the job and goes home, it's too sad. And so you have to like bring the joke back in a little bit to... Uh, not make it like the ending just so totally dispiriting, you know. I I I I wanted to talk about the one about the gifts from grandma. <laughs> yes, the the story called Incomprehensible Memories, which is so you you have Pampanya and you have this like off screen grandma that is drawn with like such. It, it, it's probably the most detailed human being we see over the course of this oh, entire absolutely. book. Oh, uh, absolutely. But, yeah. but, like, we never see her whole face, uh, but she keeps just dropping off, like, increasingly complex and, like, toys made of just balls put together in, in like, 
more ominous configurations and eventually develop into Akira machinery. I had to save this one uh, panel from the book that was uh, the the toy, like one of the last toys that Ponpanya gets is an Oro Coper Hindle Morgan, and it's like a dog almost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, the next page is where, like, to even say the name of the toy, like, Ponpanya's grandma starts speaking in, like, symbols and, like, squares and spirals and circles. And it's a giant death robot. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing that really hit me about that story is that, like, you know, despite all of the surreal imagery, the core of it is being gifted something by an old an older loved one and mm-hmm. maybe not understanding why they're giving it to you or, like, why that thing even made them think of you. And then, and mm-hmm. yet, feeling some sort of loss at the absence of that when that family member is no longer there to explain it or to give you anything else like that the grandmother leaves behind this this letter that's in a click an old calligraphy that's so detailed and intricate that Pampanya can't even read the explanation uh but just mm-hmm. kind of going through grandma's old things and just going like oh there's a whole room full of these toys that were probably going to go to me eventually like and i'll never know why they were or why she did it but i i, I still feel like that sort of palpable sense of loss for a family member there's well. like a, a a really beautiful way that the the stories in this book um kind of come at like very real world things um in like a bizarre way um like there's a text piece uh real later on um about like noticing details and things and about you know you you go for your walk one day and you know you just see a sidewalk uh let's say but then if you like stop and you look at the sidewalk you see all the little cracks and the you know the way that the cement was laid into it and the gra- like the little blades of grass growing up between the pieces of the sidewalk um and a lot of this book a lot of this book feels like it reminded me of that feeling of like if you look at an everyday object really closely, it gets, you know, you start to see things in it that are strange and weird, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that story about the grandma, because it's so early in the volume, kind of put me in the headspace um, th- that, like, unlocked how the rest of this um, book was going to work for me a little bit. And then seeing the, the details text piece late in the book, I was like, oh, okay, I was reading this right correctly. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a perfect three-page, uh, th- th- sorry, three-panel uh, bit in the story called... Um, I the name of that story. Oh, it's actually right after the No Details uh, essay. but uh, Oh, nice. Uh, but it's... So there's this three panels where Pampanya is looking up at a street lamp. And they say, it's the middle of the day, but the street lamp is still on. I thought it's normally <laughs> off at this hour. And in the very next uh, panel, it flicks off, and Pompani just goes, oh, there it goes. And it's still just mm. kind of staring up at it. And, like, it really does just sort of feel like it's it's just a very subtle way of communicating that feeling of uncanniness. And really, as you've kind of suggested, the uncanny is just looking up looking up at something mundane for long enough to see something unusual about it. Whereas normally the light would have just gone off and no one would have even looked at it. No one would have seen the yeah. moment. It just happens. Yeah. 
Um, then, when I was like 20 years old, I got into the habit of just like taking walks every day and like taking photos. And when you just like, you know, you walk through the neighborhood that you've lived in for, you know, however many years, but now you're taking photos. It's like, I, it's like living in a new neighborhood almost, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, once you start to see what's really there, um, it, you start to see all these things that you've just never seen before. And this book captures that feeling so perfectly, you know? I, I agree. And if you've, if you have followed my, my feed at all in 2023, like more than comics, I tend to just post weird little art objects or creatures I find around my neighborhood. And yeah, so I, I agree. And I think that's one of the things that's very appealing is that this book captures that feeling of just paying attention to your neighborhood in a new light. It's, mm -hmm. it, and sometimes it will make you more comfortable. Sometimes it will make you less comfortable, but it's just that awareness and, feeling like the mundane world around you is still worth experiencing. I, I finished this book yesterday and my first thought was, I need to go outside more often, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. The best part, too, is that it can go from, like, those uncanny stories to, like, the the, the perfect Calvin and Hobbes story, which is the perfect Sunday. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> which is, that's what that is. It's a Calvin and Hobbes story. Like, it absolutely is. I'm so glad I'm not the only person who thought that. <laughs> Because the Perfect Sunday is a story about how Pompeo wants to create a machine to make it so the Sunday is perfect before they have to go back to school, which we've all thought about. Yes, you got to do everything on a Sunday. You got to go outside. You got to go for a walk. You got to watch the right TV shows at the right time. You got to have the right food, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it leads to uh, doing or planning out the whole route on the Sunday without realizing it, and then finding out that Monday is also holiday. <laughs> <laughs> And, and also and, making the giant contraption inside the, the room to do <laughs> the perfect toast maker. Yes. <laughs> they even capture that feeling of despair uh, that was very familiar to me when I was in school, which was that, like, they talk about how the show Saze-san, which is a Japanese institution of, like, a cartoon that's been on for decades and decades and decades. But, like, that show heralds that, like, you're at the end of your Sunday night. And it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's both, like, oh, this fond character, Saze-san, but also, like, Everything is over. Life is going to go back to normal tomorrow. <laughs> and like, that's a feeling I had when like the Simpsons came on or something as a kid where it's like, I'm excited to see this show. But also that means that like, I'm about to go to bed and start the whole week again. And, and like that dread. I love the way that the Pompanya character kind of misses the point of what um, the dog is saying, because the dog is like, well, why don't you just enjoy your Sunday? Um, I believe the dog's name like, is Leonard, by the way. Okay. <laughs> That's good, one of the good. few named characters in Pompanya stories. So Leonard is like, why not just enjoy it? Um, and so Pompanya spends this whole Saturday, and then they learn Sunday as well, planning the perfect Sunday. And in doing so, has a very nice day. Like, goes and gets some ice cream, and walks a different route through the neighborhood, and like does all these really fun things and spends the whole time being like, well, I can't enjoy this today because tomorrow is Sunday and that's the day I'm going to really enjoy it. <laughs> um, and then when they get home and Saze-san is on and they realize, uh, and they're like, oh no, I wasted uh, my Sunday. And it's like, you had a nice day. And that's sort of what the dog says. Uh, but then it's like, oh, well, Monday is a holiday, so I can just do this again tomorrow. <laughs> Um, I I adore yeah. the panel that says today is Sunday with Pompanya like devastated going no all my plans <laughs> yes it's such a good panel uh, 
That's also like the the Salamander one, which is another one of the more common in Hobbs of these stories, where <laughs> they're given a giant salamander, and then they come across the guy who gave them the salamander getting arrested for like trafficking endangered animals, and then they're holding the salamander while the cops t- telling them this, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, this isn't a sal- this isn't a, an exotic salamander. This is a foreign exchange student. And then they take the salamander back to the jungle, and then get home and realize that oh, the salamanders live in Japan. We didn't have to travel to the mouth of the Amazon to drop this off. And then the we last didn't have to go into a Amaz- Tintin comic. And then the last panel is the one in the Amazon picking up salamander, going, "What the hell is?" Yes, they have be- they have inadvertently become smugglers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the, the third last panel of Salmoner was sitting on a rock in the the river. So good. <laughs> this the story about the salamander has made me my favorite panel in the whole book, which is um, when they're getting into the boat and it just says "boat" on the side. <laughs> I fucking lost my mind. <laughs> Hell yeah! And then you get that very of... you get that very Calvin and Hobbesy uh, touch when the boat passes a like a very vividly drawn dimetrodon. It's very detailed. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think this is mine because it's just the uh, the one on the top right because it might be perfect. Hello. <laughs> And Ponya being like, wow, I can't believe uh, your ventriloquism came in good use so they could make it look like the salamander was talking. Uh, This is a great book. This is such a good book. It's it's a really good book. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring it on the show is because I I it's been out for a a few years now. And I really do think that Ponya needs a much wider audience. Yeah. I, I think there are a lot of people out there that would find this very enchanting in many ways, uh, very relatable. Um, and thankfully, uh, the publisher Denpa is seems committed to publishing more Panpanya. Uh, they, re- they the last couple of years they did uh, a follow up book called Goyabano Holiday, which is very very still much in the mold of this book. Like it's it's got a lot of the the same qualities, and the midsection, which is fairly large is a story about Panpanya uh, becoming curious about this flavor of juice that's sold at a market, uh, which is made of goyabano, which is a fruit that's more more known in the Philippines and just decides to travel to the Philippines. Uh, and so like a large chunk of this book is a Panpanya-style travelogue of the Philippines. Okay. Uh, and that sounds sick. It's it's got it, it's got like all the expected Panpanya touches. Like there are there are panels where it's like literally photos of the Philippines with like a drawn character walking through it. You know, there's just you know some some very I don't know, like just very again the the attention to mundane details, but in a place that Panpanya is less familiar with. Um, a, a touch I especially liked was. There is a there is a short story, a chapter about like a once in a lifetime uh, experience to swim with a whale shark. But Panpanya spends way more of that chapter like being enamored with a nostalgic mosquito repellent that they see at a gas station, and the <laughs> the whale shark only gets one panel at the end. Like the it's just several pages of like remembering <laughs> this particular mosquito repellent and the logo and the 
Yeah, and so th- I, I think this is another lovely one, um, Goyabano Holiday, and they've also announced uh, that they're going to do one of Pampania's most recent books, which is called Fish Society, and that should come out sometime in 2024. So uh, I'm glad that there's more of it out there, and I really think a lot of people should seek it out because I think you'll find uh, plenty to enjoy here. Yeah, I feel like there's like a million different things that I could be like, oh, if you like Calvin and Hobbes, you should read this. If you like Ghibli movies, you should read this. If you like, you know, there's like a, a million things that I could compare this to, even though I think it is very much like its own thing. It is its own like very unique like object in the world. And uh, yeah, I as soon as we finish the podcast today, uh, I'm going to buy paperbacks of this and uh, Guayabano Holiday because um, I would like to just be able to pick these up anytime and like flip through them. You know, I'm, I'm glad I have them on my tablet, but that's going to be the real shit. <laughs> I guess the other big story we haven't talked about is the one where Papai becomes a ghost. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is such a good story. Yeah, because um, they, they fall asleep on the train and they wake up at the wrong stop and everything's was, wrong. That was the <laughs> one I was thinking about when I was like, oh, if you like Ghibli movies, you'd probably like, you know, this book. It's like, it's it's that and the very first, like, invitation from a crab, like the first story in the collection. Um, because, yeah, what happens is Panpanya falls asleep on the train um, and wakes up and gets lost in the town. And I think... This had some of my favorite pages of like the you know in the in the way that they can do like very very highly detailed drawings of this town, but it's like all done in this like fisheye perspective. Almost. Yeah, it's, it, it's incredible. Yeah, like, um, like this the bottom of this. Oh no, that this one. Um, the bottom of this page here, like that panel is so incredible. Yeah, um, the, it just I, warps around the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking at page 88 right now, um, which is just like Panpanya going, where am I? And just like this horrifying crosshatched nightmare. Um, and it's just like a normal street, you know? Um, but like all the street signs say, no way home. Where is this? Stranded. Um, stuff like that. Um, They're normal streets, but getting... they, they capture the like the feeling of being lost, even in a familiar place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they need to get an extra <laughs> which reminds me that there's um the lettering in this book in general i thought was pretty good but there's especially like like those um those street sides i was just talking about or much later and i forget which story this is from but i um say oh this is from the sunday story Pompanya walks past like a little waterfall that has slow down lettered into like the this rushing water you know um the, I thought the lettering in this in this book was really really stellar. Agreed. But yeah, the 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 ghost story, real quick, because I love how this resolves. Um, is Podpania makes a friend with a with a different dog, might also be Leonard, um, and goes to the the train stations, lost and found. And they find, like, a shriveled-up husk, and Ponpanya puts that on, and it's their body, apparently. But, um, it's such a bizarre moment of, like, putting on your own skin. But your skin is, like, it doesn't look like you. It, yeah. Maybe this is what you look also, like when your soul is outside of your body. <laughs> also, oh, the, the, the funniest bit about that whole thing is, um... 
on the shelves in that guy's in the the place they go is this which i didn't notice until right now looking through it uh, that is the correct year also <laughs> the Elder the Scrolls other... 4 Oblivion Oblivion 2006 spring <laughs> this this story I also forgot has one of the other funniest things um, which is uh, they learn that you can spot a ghost because if you're wearing glasses and you take off your glasses a ghost will look the same huh. <laughs> um, so... uh, which is just a great little bit <laughs> Yeah, that's really um, good. So yeah, the, the I, other one I, I really love the, the other one we've talked about at all is the the small one with the pond, which <laughs> where there's a pond that shows up in front of the school, and no one else seems to notice it. And Pompeii spends the whole class thinking about the pond and how cool it is. And then the, the t- someone goes up to the presentation and goes, "Oh, I made this pond over the summer," and everyone's like, "That's all you did? Made a pond?" <laughs> yeah, and I'm like pond is pretty cool and the teacher's like well you should really be doing other things beyond just digging since you're a mole and i'm like teacher you should encourage this mole they did something cool <laughs> or or pun Panya going to visit the artist uh who draws ducks in a pond and they're oh my god and, and like they have the, they have the three wooden decoy ducks in the pond that attract some other ducks sometimes and they just paint whatever ducks are out there every day to the point where like the artist no longer knows which ducks are the real ones and which ones are the decoys and they're like well did you, what did you get out of this and he's like I, I got better at drawing water that was that was another one of the stories um and listeners i apologize if you hear my radiator kicking on right now but that was another one of the stories um that really made me think about, um, like, noticing details and stuff. Of just, like, you know, he got better at noticing all the little things in the water, you know? So it was, it was worth doing guy. for its own sake, yeah. 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 There's one where the guy buys, uh, he thinks he's buying a bunch of pickled radish on eBay and instead buys a model kit. <laughs> that, they, that they think is a pickled radish model kit, but instead of a machine that makes pickled radish... <laughs> And they open a pickled radish store. <laughs> yeah, it sells the best pickled radish in all the land. <laughs> this is this is where I say to your listener that if it seems like we're going, there's another one. There's another one. It's because there is not a bad short story in this batch. No, no, no. I th- I think the the one about the onion slicing was uh, my least favorite story in the whole book, and I still really like the Rick, onion you slicing. Said it, and Rick, you said it was one of your favorites. So yeah, yeah. yeah that's great. <laughs> that one. That, I like, think. The mystery the, hot pot where it goes in the dark. Oh, mystery hot pot is good. <laughs> um, I think the because the onion slicing one is pretty early, and um, I think I hadn't clued in when reading that one how funny the book was. Um, <laughs> I think once I realized that the book was, I think like as I started laughing more and more. In hindsight, I appreciate the onion story more because it is one of the first ones that just has some laughs in it. You know. It has that uh, that like ominous horror feeling into co- immediate levity uh, that defines yeah. a lot of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, highly recommended reading. <laughs> Run, don't walk. Pick up a yeah. paperback. Please enjoy these. Absolutely. Um, I, oh, I think I index. mentioned. Oh, Which is yes, great. the index. <laughs> Which is the just index literally just... a mix of goods in the book. <laughs> and when just, they show here up. Here are so... the pages where you can see dolphins. Or the Amazon know? River. 
Um, Such a good index. Uh, I, I think I mentioned uh, <laughs> in a, in our like uh, chat, like I had listened to an episode of uh, Manga Splaining where they talked about this book, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds interesting. I should get around to this sooner or later." So I'm I'm so glad you brought this to us because I I'm so delighted that I finally read this because uh, this book is just fantastic. I, I I just turned to the back of the book too, and I think that the the text there. Uh, really gives a great explanation of the overall feeling of this book. Uh, and it says, If you are fortunate enough to see a crab strolling through your neighborhood, please follow its lead. By slowing down to a crab's pace and looking around and about in this world, you too may discover life's many mysteries that are hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Yep. So. I, I love that that's the back of the book. I love that if you like saw this at the bookstore and picked it up, that's what you get. Yep. You get the philosophy delivered right there to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and no other explanation for its contents. I also love that, um, so the index, right? It has a bunch of stuff that's real, but also like Oro Copper Morgan is in there. <laughs> There's something I just noticed in Cyrillic in the, uh, in the index, which I don't know what that could be referring to off the top of my head. Alright, yeah. I have to flip to this and see if I can tell. It says pages it's, 10 and uh, 11. It looks like... Yeah. Is that is that from the um, Toy Story, maybe? Uh, I believe oh, I it is, like yes. That. Okay, okay. Oh, yes, <laughs> uh, it, the, the first toy, which kind of looks like a helmet on, like... A base oh, with it some new things. It. It, yeah, it has the Cyrillic written on the bottom there. That's it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like we're wrapping up here a little bit. Oh, yeah. um, Casey, where can people find you online? If, um, if you want to be found. <laughs> I have squatted on the name Manovsky article at most places on the web because, as I have said uh, during many a guest spot lately, who knows how much longer Twitter is going to continue to exist and or at least how long, you know, any of us are going to want to exist on it. Um, mm-hmm. You can so you can find me there. You can email me at Manovsky article at Gmail dot com. You can uh, continue to listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I won't necessarily be on it, but it's a good show and you should continue to listen. Um, and, uh, maybe, and you can also probably find me at a small press expo in Bethesda, Maryland, at least once a year. <laughs> um, Rick, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me basically everywhere at combat the Rick V. Um, I just finished and I'm about to start the 81st issue of scanning all these anime issues I have lying around. <sighs> 81? Which is, actually, which is funny because the 81st one is uh, May 1986, which is the one where I was born. Holy crap. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, birthday issue. <laughs> Time for... um, yeah, you can find me... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No. Uh... You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. I've been posting a little more on co-host this week, autumnal coffee with no underscore. Um, that's where you can see many goofy screenshots of X-Men comics, like um, Wolverine in his Canadian Armed Forces uniform sneaking into the Pentagon. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, our next episode of this podcast, um, maybe in a week, 
more likely in two weeks. Um, I think I think Nora has settled on. We're definitely doing the Ashley Wood Metal Gear Solid comic, and then I think Nora sounded pretty interested in Automatic Kafka. So I believe we will also be reading. Okay. Uh, we'll be reading both Automatic Kafka and Ashley Wood's Metal Gear Solid adaptation. Not Metal Gear Solid Two, just the first one, because um, that's already plenty of comics. That's like fifteen issues. So yeah. Um, and after that, in January, I think we're going to have Mark on again, who people might remember from our Understanding Comics episode, to talk about the first uh, Finder story. I want to call it say it's called Sin Eater, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. Really excited to read that. I've had Finder uh, on my Kindle for 10 years almost, and I've never got around to reading it. So <laughs> I've definitely um, read like 50 pages of that book multiple times and then stopped for whatever reason. Uh, go in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you want to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash export audio, $5 a month gets you a bunch of bonus extra episodes. Like, um, I was, I was listening this week to our end of Billy Bat slash top 10 episode because I was just thinking about top 10 again. Um, obviously, uh, a bunch of our Hunter Hunter episodes are behind the little paywall, so... Yeah, we would appreciate uh, your support, and if you support us, you get a lot more of this podcast. So, yeah. Uh, I guess that about does it. Uh, we uh, don't have a sign-off. <laughs> nope. We did one point, but I forget what it was. Molly came up with a good sign-off, and neither of us have ever remembered what it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bye, everybody. Goodbye.